Hi, and welcome to the Golden Age Horror Podcast. This is episode 45, Onibaba. Uh, I'm Matt. That's Andrew. Yes. You can check out our website, www.goldenagehorror.com, or stay tuned after the podcast for info and show notes. Andrew, what does Onibaba mean? It means black cat. Perfect. Now, I believe as the subtitles imply to the title at the beginning of the movie, it means the hole. Mm-hmm. Onibaba, the hole. No, wait, no, wait. It means demon woman. Courtney Love is actually uh, her, her band. It is called Onibaba. Onibaba, yes. That's a uh, high-quality joke there I just made. <laughs> high-quality collection of thoughts yeah. screwing together. They're just putting out the gold. It's a collection of adjacent thoughts. So Onibaba is a 1964 historical drama slash horror film directed by Kanido Shindo starring Nobuko Otawa, Jitsuko Yoshimura, Ki Sato and Taiji Toniyama. You're getting sounds like you're getting a lot better at that. Honestly, <laughs> I'm just doing my best. I know, but like, I mean, that sounded right. Those all sound pretty good. They could certainly be the real names, or they could have been something else entirely. They all sound like they all sound like you like you nailed the name in one. It's not like you were like mm-hmm. there was no pausing and looking at the word and saying mm-hmm. I don't know about this one. I'm just gonna go ahead and apologize to anyone who could actually pronounce. Uh, Japanese names properly that they had to listen to me try and say it right you know I'd rather someone I don't know I don't know <laughs> I don't know if it's worse to for you to approximate the rest in your English tongue or do with the accent well I, I yeah well I'd, if I could do the accent properly the, I might try to do the, the accent the affected accent but sometimes it feels weird and affected some people do it yeah some people do it and it sounds weird and affected but um you know, I think our, I think our, that's not one of really the options. The options I have available are do my best, like I just did, or like let make it into a joke, which I don't think is really appropriate. I can't say other people's names. Yeah, exactly. That's not that's yeah, that's not really that funny. But we still managed to talk about it for yeah. Well, but like because you did it well, Andrew. Yeah, what's up? Do you want to summarize Onibaba for us? People around the grass and follow the hole. That's Onibaba. Long-time podcast fans slash listeners will notice that Andrew's summaries are getting shorter and shorter <laughs> as time goes on. No, you At one point, his summaries were five to ten minutes long. <laughs> now we're struggling to crack 15 seconds. <laughs> one sentence, quick and concise. Yeah. Like the whole itself. It's, I, my, that description has been along since ancient. Okay. The real description? You want the real plot? Give it to me. Well, you know, some of these movies, the the plot is simple, mm-hmm. but the text is rich. And I, I mean, this is a movie like that for sure. Yes, but maybe some of the early movies, there was a lot, there's a lot of plot going on. There was a lot of plot going on. There was a lot of plot going. On. There was a lot of plot in a lot of these movies, or a lot of stuff happened. But in this one, really. There's a mother and her daughter, a lot of who are poor and kind of scrounging armor to sell for food off of soldiers on the battlefield. And then, like a friend of the husband's son comes back, develops starts a relationship with the daughter-in-law. The mother doesn't like it. She's living in sin, pretends to be a demon, mm-hmm. and then wears a wearing a demon mask that she stole from a samurai that she tricked into falling down the hole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then something with the mask curses her face. She gets ugly, and then does she fall down a hole? I don't know. I, I'm I'm leaning towards yes. She falls down the you, hole. You know I mean, I feel like you're real. You're all antsy or something. To fall down a hole. I mean, they they spent a lot of time just on the teasing hole. us with that hole. Like it was like yes, yeah, they spent a lot of time teasing with the hole. Yes. You know, they would, like, linger around the edge of the hole. They would just, like, just, show it in the back of shots. Yeah. There'd be a lot of running, but no holes, so you're like, where's the hole? It's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole movie's set in these... Uh, these gotcha. Like, I don't understand. The entire film... <laughs> ...is set in this, uh, like... Um, it could be, it could be like, 20 feet wide, or it could be miles wide. Yeah, the, these fields, these these fields of grass or something and the um they refer to it as grass okay and uh somewhere in these fields of grass there's a big hole that the two women are throwing the corpses of the bloated 
the, the they kill the samurai or the soldiers and take their armor and their swords and stuff and they throw the corpses down the hole. This ancient hole. This ancient dark hole. It's been around. It's been around for thousands of years. Yeah. Since the beginning of time. Um and, but anyway, they spend a lot of time running around these fields and uh you're constantly or at least I watching the movie was no, pretty, I, much, yeah. pretty much fixated on the fact that that hole was like now no one was ever looking at where they were going. Yeah. <laughs> they were always like just screaming and looking up at the sky and running through these fields. And it was just seemed like super inevitably that someone was gonna fall down the hole and break their legs. Yeah. Maybe that's just like the uh like the latent motherly concern inside my body, but it feels like in any other movie someone would have fallen down that hole at the midpoint. But no, they resisted the hole. Arguably only one person ever fell down the hole. That is well, I mean, certainly other people ended up down the hole. Yeah, but only one person fell down the hole. Yeah. But other people are tossed on the hole, but that's not their fault. So this is the second uh Kanito Shindo movie we watched. Yeah. The other one was um Um Kuroneko. Kuroneko, the black cat. The black No, no, black cat. Just black cat. Right. Um, I don't know if there's a Japanese word for the. There's not, there's not an article in there anyway. Yeah. But I was just saying the black cat. The black cat is a little different. Black cat is a is a, a different movie. movie. Yeah. Um, less less ghosts in that, I think. Uh, there's some ghosts in the black cat. <laughs> They're just a lot. The black cat's a different movie. Let's just say the black cat is a different movie than Corey. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. There's not an, I don't think it's an official ghost in the, the black cat. An official ghost. But there's official ghosts in Kuroneko. Yeah, there's some like honorary they, ghosts in like the black cat. They get their stamps. Yeah. You know. There's some honorary ghosts in the black cat. They got a, um, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a ceremonial doctorate from Ghost Academy, mm-hmm. Ghost University. Not officially, though. You kind of actually say you're a doctor. Or a ghost in this case. That's that's a Game Boy game, isn't it? Doctor Ghost. Doctor Ghost. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And everyone gets there's a lot of excited faces on it. No, I think it's a. It sounds more like it's a. But he, well, he's a lawyer. No, Doctor Ghost and is. He solves crimes. No, see, no, that's all correct. But that is actually a, um, a an earlier they might be giant song. Okay. <laughs> um. But anyway, Kaneda Shendo, uh, also directed Current Echo, and the movies. I think we, we we pointed out as we were watching the movie, we we sort of touched on the fact conversationally that both these movies do have like a real superficial similarity very superficial they're not that similar but they both involve uh, a mother or an older woman younger woman killing samurai right and a general distaste for war and the yeah. samurai class this is actually a very class focused movie yes as was Kuroneko yeah and I don't recall did we watch another Japanese movie for this series uh, I mean House House, which doesn't have the same fixation. House is, house, is house is a completely different movie. Yeah. Um, house was also co-written by like a 13-year-old, so... Yeah, well, I mean... 13-year-olds... So they work us into a gym class than social class. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Say. <laughs> <laughs> At least in like the 70s. You just see Andrew's face. He is so abused by my joke. <laughs> I'm, you couldn't actually see my face because I'm on the floor, under the <laughs> table, rolling around. I'm pulling a real hachi. Um... Yeah. Were the other characters named? I don't remember them ever saying... I don't think they were named. Yeah, because I don't remember them ever saying their names. I think the only names were given to the son, which was briefly... Like Kichi, right? Yeah. And Hachi. And Hachi. Which, I don't recall anyone saying the names of the two women. Does that mean something? I think certainly there's like... There's definitely like... I had actually taken a note that this movie did seem very concerned with sexual politics. Yeah. Not Not like literally like intercourse politics, but like gender politics yes like, like oh, that was that was the core like conflict of the film mm-hmm. was she's living in sin yep yeah and she's like no I'm not I'm just doing what I want to do well that that like that sort of uh, that was like almost almost that seemed secondary to me to like the the man needs a woman the man needs a woman and like the older woman wanting to maintain her independence and uh that i mean that was really she she wasn't as concerned about the she didn't really it wasn't like a moral judgment she was passing on, yeah. on the female on the younger woman it wasn't like she cared that they were living in sin really she just didn't want she to was using as an excuse yeah she wanted to be alone and and throughout the movie like uh in one of the first scenes in the movie they bring some armor to be sold to the guy oh who, he's got a name 
Ushi. Ushi, yeah. Yeah, Ushi. And um Ushi ran Uchi, right? I, I think it was U.S. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, all these guys. Because what I, what I said when I said, oh, I wonder if that means something, was Hachi and Kichi. If, like, Ha and Ki are like these. I wonder if it, well, I wonder if they're just, like, it's sort of a, like a, uh, like a lower class name. Right. Naming convention. Well, because I think names are often, you can break them down into, like, components, like, mm-hmm. syllable components that yep. mean different things. So I don't know what those two names mean. Kind of like, you know, most English names mean something. Yeah. But they don't... Then a, a lot of them are not as clear anymore. So it's not so inherent what the things mean. Yeah, I mean, I do think... What their roots are. In some cases, there are some, plenty of English names that you are like... You know what the words are, you know... Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, Okay. But I, I do think, I think you're onto something there, though, with the idea that uh, the two women didn't have names for a reason. Right. But anyway, the Ushi, one of the first scenes in the movie, he basically just, like, offers a woman a bag of millet in order to sleep with him. Yeah. And then um, later Hachi, when his free first shows up, he just walks in and demands to be served. And it, just his whole attitude. Yeah, he's 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 a real, cre- he's a real creepo. Yeah, he is a creepo, but that, I mean... <laughs> Regardless, it's definitely like it definitely. Aside from examining the relationship between samurai and farmer, it also examines the relationship between men and women. Right. And a lot, I think, in a lot more profound way than Kuroneko did. I yeah. don't remember Kuroneko really being about that. Well, Kuroneko, it's a lot more supernatural. Yeah, that's it. true too. So there's a lot more focus on that. This is basically no supernatural elements until maybe the end. Yeah, and even then, it's not really. I mean, I guess it could just be a funky mask. It could just be a gross mask. Yeah. So. The scene at the end, um, uh, I don't know if Andrew directly said it, but the woman, she's got this, the mask that she stole from the samurai. It's a, it's a sort of a grotesque demon face. Yeah. It's, it, it's a very, you know what it is if you if you think like Japanese demon mask. Yeah, it looks it, it look like, it is, that's I, exactly how you picture it. Right. There's, there's probably a word for that, a very specific type of it mask. It is N-O-H. What? Oh, no. Yes. That's, yeah. that's, I believe, is a term for those masks. Okay. I had that written down somewhere, but I don't know. Or I might have read it earlier. I hope I'm writing that. Um, I mean, that is, that is a, I believe, no is a Japanese word. Yep. So, you're good on that. Um, but anyway, the, the mask is pretty unnerving, both in the scene when the samurai is wearing it, and he's sort of demanding to be let out of the forest yeah then in the scene when he she goes down into the pit of corpses to fish the mask out and his armor and stuff and then in the end of the movie she's been she's been stalking um the younger girl on when she's attempting to rendezvous with hachi yeah and uh the mask gets stuck on her face and she can't get it off and she's she believes that she's been cursed and turned into a demon um there's a whole like it's really that was and you know we we generally talk about this later, but you know we have a all the times it comes up. Is this a horror movie? Is this not a horror movie? Right. And to me, a horror movie. Just, I mean, a horror movie is a very broad term, and it just has to have something that's like a horror, like something horrifying in it. I'll know horror when I see it. Yeah, and that to me, like that's when it crossed. I I think it, I would have honestly been on the fence if it was a horror movie or not until that scene when she's struggling to get the mask off, and the younger woman gets out the hammer and she's trying to crack it off with the hammer. And, yeah. Uh, there's a scarred face underneath. There's a lot of Dark, gothic-y type touches of this movie prior to that with the like there's a pit of bones that's been picked clean they throw their murdered corpses down into yeah. that's pretty horrifying right but but in a different way that's the horror di- that's the horror of survival yeah but it turns a corner at the end and just goes full on horror full throated horror yeah I that think. pure I mean, someone mentioned I saw someone on Twitter mention that what horror does that they don't think a lot of people get what that horror does is horror is laser focused on aesthetics mm-hmm. more than any other genre like it has such a strong adherence to like aesthetics sometimes above anything else there's definitely yeah I would agree I don't know if, uh, I'm drawing a blank I feel like that statement's too broad to be right yeah uncontested, You're right. uncontested but like yeah, I mean it's, it's just a Twitter statement certainly there's a lot of like very aesthetic horror movies yeah but there's also a lot of very aesthetic other types of movies yeah and I think there's probably some horror movies that aren't focused on aesthetics right. as much as... I think it was more the sentiment that people are underselling the aesthetic value that horror can bring. 
I do think that there's a thing that horror movies do more frequently than other kinds of movies generally. Certainly dramas and comedies aren't rolling really do this. I think other genre movies do it though, but there's a thing that horror movies do where like, and Suspiria is like the archetypal example, Yeah. where it's like, it literally does not matter what is happening in the movie. <laughs> it is just about the aesthetics. And the aesthetics string together to create like, a mood and a feeling of, of forward motion. Yeah. And, and it all works. Even though if you took the words out of that movie and read them, you'd be like, confused. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing, it doesn't really make sense, but it makes enough sense when you're watching it that it doesn't right. matter. And it's so beautiful that you're okay with it. Yeah, I've That's- seen a lot of weird movies that sometimes I don't know if you would classify also movies get weird sometimes and sometimes that movie weird movies are also horror movies yeah I mean I'm sure like when I was saying that yeah I'm sure there's science fiction movies that do that right I'm pretty sure there's some westerns that do that like some of those spaghetti westerns are just like are just whistling and whistling and vistas yeah but like maybe horror movies do it the best I think that's a possible way to yeah. look at it. I think that's where that statement was leading towards. Yeah, and then that's and that's the case. I can see the truth of that. So about that mask, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's just like the particulars of that expression. But at first, like I thought they changed the mask, like changed, like subtly changed it because it seemed like no matter the scene and the mask would have fit the expression to some extent I don't know did it, did it change it, I don't think it did but it looked like it did to me like it felt like it, the the original when the man walks in it feel the ma- the aura like the expression mm. the mask is giving off feels different than at the end where she's like pleading and desperate yeah this movie I mean this is a beautifully shot movie with some really great lighting and I think the, maybe the lighting they used when shooting the mask was yeah. like very like uh it was uh, they were careful to be appropriate with it right so I think like the combination between just sort of the general grotesque horror of the face Mm -hmm. and the way like the way it's shot like sometimes at like a high up angle where along with the figure who's like wearing it so like the samurai is you know he's he's looming Mm -hmm. he's taller he's more imposing or even the mother when she's in the field is more straight on but then when you see her like cloaked in shadow or like kneeling down and mm-hmm. desperate pleading it yeah. looked like the mask was like it had that same contorted face but it was, but it was like, like it was, it was contorted almost... in like grief yeah yeah or desperation rather than like a horror like an inward horror rather than outward horror or I guess if the mask is just a general phase of horror then they just effectively conveyed whether the horror was being reflected outwards or inwards yeah yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually notice that when we were watching the movie, but like looking back, I can see exactly what you mean with the the way the expression changed. I don't know. Or it didn't change. It didn't change, but the way they, 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 they made it seem like it, the way they lit it. The way they recontextualized what this expression Perfect. was. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, they killed a dog in this movie. Yeah. And they ate it. Yeah. Hey, you know. That's good, horror. That's good meat. That, but I've never I've tried. I've met some dogs, and none of them seem like they'd really have. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> to be fair, that's not that's your your fault of dog. I guess you get a nice beefy dog, you might feel differently. That was a kind of beefier dog. It, I mean, it looked beefy when there once it was de defacified. Yeah. Um. There was a lot of sex and nudity in this movie. Yeah. Uh, oh. I would say the most of any movie we've watched. Yes. Probably. I'm trying um, to think of one that had... I, I gotta say, I, this is something I thought of early on that's very important. Uh-huh. The mother, with like her hair a little out, and two swords and one boob out. Yeah. With a fucking power stance. <laughs> like, that was a powerful look. I'm like, dude, this lady is something serious. Yeah, that, I mean, that was pretty serious. I was like, damn. <laughs> that was a good look. <laughs> I'm I'm 100 percent serious. That's all. I, I mean, that's not a joke. I mean, like like that is iconic. That just looks good. And it was like, 
I don't. I feel like she didn't deserve the constant scorn she got. Yeah, no. Like it was constantly was, like, "Get away from you, disgusting old woman." She's like, thirty-two. Yeah, <laughs> she's got a white streak in her hair. Yeah, which she, looks good. She's got heavy makeup on. I, I think that you know to yeah. age her, but that's clearly not that old of a woman. No, and also like it, it's a stylish skunk streak. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is the horrors of war that turned her hair white. So I don't know if we should be trivializing it by applying yeah. our modern fashion to techniques to right. it. Right. You know, I'm saying it looked good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Wouldn't throw her out of the cave, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, Hachi would. Yeah, Ushi, Ushi would bring her into the cave. Ushi, Ushi was into it. Yeah. Ushi was into it right at the beginning. Him and his man cave. He would toss her a bag of millet. Hachi's having none of it. For the... <laughs> Got any notes about Hachi's talking horn dog humping the ground? No, I didn't write any notes about that. <laughs> when he was like, oh, I'm so horny. He started like running through the field. There was a, Yeah, there's a part. I mean... We forget in our modern times that masturbation actually wasn't invented until 1971. <laughs> yes, we just got, I don't know what to do with he it. He didn't know what to do with all the energy he had. So he just took off all, took off most of his clothes and just started like rolling around the dirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, who's that guy that killed him at the end? I didn't. I don't really know. It wasn't Ushi. No, was it the samurai car out of the hole? No, they looked completely different. Okay, because it, it looked like he had kind of a gross face. He did have kind of a gross face. That's true, but it. The samurai in the hole had a younger, was a younger and right. hair. Yeah, because that guy was like balding-ish or balding He had like one of the man bun things. I don't know. I'm sure there's a better name, like yeah. a Japanese name for it. But. Um, Kurobun, meaning the black bun. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, you know, there's like a, a moment there where I don't know if Andrew probably does more of a Japanese stuff than me. Yeah, so not really. <laughs> so I was like, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like only like really loosely. Yeah. Only through like fiction. You you watch, you've read more manga than me. Yeah, but a lot of that is like very. Like, I know you're not getting like a. Like no, I mean, I mean, also like I think that's more of a fault of partially. I don't know if it's what's being written or just like it's not being localized. What you would think of as like when you think of American more indie memoirish personal comics, mm-hmm. I've, there are very few of those. Or there are much fewer of those, so I don't know if that's a matter of localization. You mean there's fewer of those coming from Japan? Yeah. Who's the guy who the fanographers did the reprints of that are like from the 50s? <sighs> They're really good. Yes. If I if we can't if I can't we can't remember. No, right I, now, I'll I, write down I, the show notes. But those it are really is good. Tatsumi. Tatsumi. I forget his I forget his first name, but it's Tatsumi. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I borrowed I, it from you, or you had it from the library, and I read it. I've got it. Yeah. So yeah. like, abandon the old in Tokyo. Abandon the old in Tokyo. Yeah, that's that's the one. a good one. I really like A Drifting Life, which is a semi-fictitious memoir. And it, cause it, it's a, it has him, like, because he was a contemporary of people like Tezuka. Yeah, well, that doesn't seem like it bears any resemblance to that. But that's the thing, though. I mean, in this, it's to get off on a tangent, mm-hmm. there was, much like the U.S., this parallel, like, You've got, you know, your Superman Silver Age, but then you've also got, like, your weird underground, like, P-Cars and whatever. And Crumbs. Your Zap Comics running parallels to, like, Marvel and DC. Yeah. But then you've also... It's the same thing in Japan where you've got, like, your... I mean, Tezuka went weird sometimes, but... There wasn't... I there But I think in Japan it's sort of more more concurrent. I mean, we're way off topic, but I think... Yeah. I think... It probably was. There was only, like... Like literally, like two things pre, like like Will Eisner done something, sure, and that was like basically it until yeah. for a long time, right? I feel like there was kind of always that. Well, I mean, if he was if he was a contemporary of Tezuka, who's like one of the first people call like fucking the pop daddy of manga, yeah. So yeah, and the other stuff that I've got is like a weird imprint that I've never even heard. Like I don't know who the publisher is, or. Like, I think Fanographics or who's the other one? Drawn and Quarterly. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I think Drawn and Quarterly puts out the Tatsumi yeah, stuff. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Yep. Um, Fanographics puts out, because Fanographics picked up, I think there's like uh, something, I guess there, Heichi, I forget his name. Um, Red Colored Elegy and Gold Pollen. Gold Pond I picked off off like like Picture Box was the imprint. I don't think they exist okay. anymore. But Fanographics put out Red Color Elegy, which is, you know, an abstract, more artsy thing about sort of like young animators. But yeah, I think it's just a matter of 
what's marketable is like you know shonen jump yeah that's probably what's coming over here and that's the biggest stuff so that's it's kind of like you get the you get the impression that like it's like you imagine if you're a different country and all you got was marvel and dc and you thought oh well that's american comics yeah i mean it is american comics it i mean i have a lot of comics and like i like my marvel and dc fits maybe like two of those ikea cubes yeah yeah, but that's that's a way off topic of what I was saying is my reading manga doesn't inform you that much of I got that far it reads mildly of like what you get but what you get from the culture because a lot of it isn't very like culture related so neither of us know what that man bun is called <sighs> not a clue <laughs> top knot I think that's what they call it in English I, I think English it's translated to top knot um I will say that this movie had like a real strong like it really felt like a folktale. Yeah, that, that's something I wrote down when I was watching it, and now looking back at my notes that I have my pre-viewing notes. Yeah, there's like this split in the way the movie is perceived, where Western audiences generally regard this movie as horror. Yeah, or Japanese audiences very much just view it as a historical tale. It feels like it, historical yarn and. Like it is definitely historical yarn. Yeah. But it also feels like a supernatural horror. Not not supernatural, but it feels like a horror story. Right, but it feels like a horror folktale because it yeah. has the trappings of, you know, a regular people encountered by a spirit, and the spirit teaches them a lesson, more or less. Yeah, it's sort of a lesson. Right, a kind of a lesson. I mean, the hole is ancient and dark, and we can't know its ways. Yeah. But we're gonna try. Uh, we should have saw if there was an American trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Sometimes, sometimes the American trailer is just the one Criterion puts out. I feel like this movie never got a theatrical release in America. <laughs> no, I what? Got, I'm not sure, but so so for our first mini segment of the one of the podcast, mm-hmm. what do you think this movie would be called in its American release? Um, the hole. Okay. Rather, rather prosaically. I would say the demon of the tall grass. Maybe, maybe. What about um, Doctor Stabby's <laughs> hole in grass, death pit, swamp? You know, I'm imagining that in a <laughs> jagged, bloody font. Yeah, and I think you're 100 percent on the money there. I guess this movie got um, pretty mediocre reception when it came out. Yeah, I have a quote here from A.H. Uh, Weiler of the New York Times, writing at the time. Uh, what does he have to say? The, he described the film's raw qualities as neither new nor especially inventive to achieve his stark, occasionally shocking effects. Although his artistic integrity remains untarnished, his driven rustic principles are exotic, sometimes grotesque figures out of medieval, medieval Japan, to whom a Westerner finds it hard to relate. That's actually not that negative of a statement, but there no. are also a bunch of other statements... Um, that I read earlier that I did not write down so I'm going to be quoting from memory but they were basically saying the movie tries to be horrible and titillating and it really only succeeds in talking about sex it doesn't really succeed in anything else like it falls flat on its class class discussion oh it just manages to be like a sexy murder tale okay which I don't think is fair no I think it I think it it doesn't because well it's not very explicit it's not titillating no it's not I don't think it was ever... No, here's the thing. The nudity... I think nudity in film, or just like nudity presented, mm-hmm. it's, you think a lot... You have to, I think you have to think a lot about how the camera views it. And the camera views nudity in this film for the, for the exclusion of the one scene where you have like Hachi leering at her butt. Mm-hmm. The nudity is very casual. Yeah. It's very matter of a fact. It's true. There's not never really yeah. It's not like check out these hot moves. It's like it's so hot and so they're sleeping without their clothes on. Yeah. Because you don't get like slow pans across bodies. It's true. You don't. I mean, even the sex is like Hachi will just like it's, it's, your shirt down. It's like amorous hugging. Yeah. <laughs> um. And there's a lot. There's, there's plenty of hachi butt. 
Yeah, I mean, dude's dude's ripped. There was ample hachi butt in that he, film. I mean, he's a big. He, I wouldn't mind him manhandling me. You know what I mean? There was he's there was strong. a there's a few scenes that was just like Hachi going outside and getting a good long look at his butt. Um. Do you um have anything bad to say about this movie? Um, I think it was a little slow at the beginning. It did. I did feel like it was like a little long. I'm not sure if there's something I would cut out of it, though. Right. I mean, that's just like just it's, it runs at an hour and forty two minutes, which is not that long of a movie. No. But um, there might have been like one too many scenes of Hachi like rolling around in the grass. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, um, I can't really say. I do think it's a, it's a it's a very good movie. Um, I I really did find that part at the end upsetting when she's trying to get the mask off. Right, yeah. And um, I think it's pretty... pretty... Um, it's like admirably straightforward about its themes. Yes. Which I really like. It's right to the point. It's right to the point. But yeah. without necessarily saying its point for the most yeah, part. Yeah, it, it shows. It, it, no, no one really... I mean, there's a few comments by the older woman about how you caused your son to die and you deserve this, the same yes. right, and all that. But really, but those feel like they're coming from a character. They don't feel like a yeah. like a talking point. There's no no one stops and gives a speech about the noble farmer or anything like that. Right. It's just, they live in they live hard, shitty lives, and nobody cares. And nobody cares. And even the murdering of the samurai is almost like an afterthought. It's like just they have to do it to eat, so they're going to do it. Right. There's not really a the film passes very little moral judgment on them for killing a yeah. samurai. That, that they hate the that they hate the samurai is just an added bonus. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's almost like yeah. Of course they hate the samurai. <laughs> um, the and the film really only sort of passes moral judgment on the older woman for trying to defend the relationship, but only in the sense that she ends up with a pretty badly scarred face from the mask. Yeah. And that feels a little bit like a like a sort of a um, like a folktaleish. You get what you you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve thing, but um, the movie also spends a lot of time making sure you know how creepy Hachi is. Like yeah, look at his chicken and stuff. All right, and he's just like doing little cat paws in yeah. the grass. So I'm not sure. Like he just he seems like you know. Really, no one gets out of this movie. The the what I'm again again is that one of the reasons the movie is good is because the characters aren't cut and dry. They're interesting characters. And right. They don't, they're all just sad and desperate. They're sad and desperate. And no one's a, no one's a complete parody of themselves. Yeah. They're just a bunch of sad, lonely people, and none of them want to be alone. But also, none of them want to live together. Yeah. Um. So that's pretty much all I have to say about Onibaba. Okay. We watched this on the film Struck. Uh, Don't you fucking t- t- give them their name. Well, I always say wh- which word version. Oh, sorry, we watched. sorry, sorry. <laughs> All I'm saying is film Struck fucking better pay up. <laughs> we're yeah, we're I'm not affiliated with film Struck, but um, I I do like to just say like we watched the, this version. So yes, you know what I mean. I usually just say it on the show notes, but I'm just figuring I'm mentioning. Right, it. right. I think for the is there a non-criterion release of Onibaba? There is. Oh, okay. There's a couple different. There's imports. And there's an older DVD release, I believe. Okay. Um, that's a non-criterion. I don't know if it's any different. I didn't research that. Yeah. Just we have the we watched the version that is available on the Criterion Collection. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So that's all I, I uh, on the subject of on this sort of similar subject. Uh, I think we're doing we're doing one more Japanese movie after this, but I'll mention now. There's a podcast that I really like called Uncanny Japan. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, I don't know. There's maybe like 15 or 20 episodes of it now. And it's, it's a short podcast. It's about uh, a, an American-Japanese woman living in Japan. And she records. She go, generally goes outside. And you can usually hear the ambient sounds of nature around her. She records uh, like a, a 15, 10 to 20-minute audio clip of herself ta- explaining a folk, piece of folklore from Japan. Oh, okay. She collects all folklore stories. And she's. I think she stays away from anything that's... She's pretty focused on stuff like the kind of stuff you would find in these these movies like old really old folklore yeah and uh and sort of like folk customs and things like that so i find that that's a good podcast and it's sort of on this subject so if you enjoy these type of movies 
yeah, because I think I feel like there's a few countries that sometimes fall victim to their most popular pop culture export. Yeah, I think Japan is especially a country that falls victim to its most popular pop culture export. Yeah, and honestly, I spent a long time not watching any movies like this just because I didn't want to. I I sort of have like a any distrust of anime. Yeah, and it just sort of carried through to all things Japanese. Listen, but I, I've really loved. I really liked a lot of these Japanese movies listen, quite a bit. Listen, buddy. Hey. Yeah. I have a distrust of anime. Yeah. And I like anime. <laughs> so like, just because I, you know, we all know people who get we, you know, really into things. You know, anime people. And they get. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't want to just put down anime people as a as a play. I try not to. To blanket to anyone, any any group of people, like I, I think that people should just be allowed to be into what they're into, yeah, and not stop judgment on them. Exactly, but there are just people who just take things too far, and anime seems to have a, a high concentration of people who just like it's so much. I it's so much anime coming out of them. Here's the thing, yeah, it came at a time when like nothing else was like it when you were growing up, mm-hmm. and this was weird and fascinating, and one of these cartoons that aren't like the cartoons that I have in America. And there's so many of them, and they're weird. They're like, what is this? They're not really that weird, much weird. It's just like they have a different... Yeah, they really appeal to some people. Yeah, it's just like, no, well, these are just like, you know, these same cartoons, but just viewed through a different lens. They're, they're same, a lot of them are full of the same dry tropes and everything else, but it was new and fresh, and then just caught on. And, you know, to some extent, there's a long... There's a lot you could say about how... Manga, especially, was comic was was the only were the only comics that really cared about women, like especially in like the late nineties, yeah, the early two thousands. There were definitely like Strangers in Paradise and stuff like that was coming out. But, sure, like, but Love and Rockets and all those sort of things. But yeah, I know what you mean. But those are even those like who is who? What kind of average person is talking about Love and Rockets? Yeah, I suppose they're like niche like punk things almost. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And they were more casual. I mean, you can you can see it very anecdotally. Look at how many comic artists nowadays. If you, whenever they post their old art, all of it looks so anime. Yeah, I mean, anime. Like I, I was reading um, even so many who have like drifted so far away from that style, who is like unrecognizable in that style. Like when I was in high school, or maybe I think it was actually before I was in high school. I think it was when I was in middle school. But the uh, X Men artist was Joe Ma- Joe Madeira. Okay, you know who that is? No. He do Battle Chasers. Do you know what Battle Chasers is? No. That's a video game, too, so I thought you might know it. But it's... Uh, it sounds... You know it sounds like a video game? <laughs> but um, that was, like, the big thing was, like, he basically drew, like, anime oh, okay. people. Yeah. It was, like, oh, like, Wolverine was anime. It was, like, it was like a big thing. And that was, like... But then, like, right on his heels, or right around the same time, like, there was, like, Humberto Ramos, Ramos and, like, a bunch of other... Um, like, I remember... All I'm saying is I remember when anime crossed into American comics, and it was, like late 90s early 2000s yeah it was just like all of a sudden it was like the thing like American comics started looking at anime right so like you can you can see like they, it probably hit in the early 90s and then yeah I well I remember like the libraries and the borders of like people yeah. sitting on the floor yep I worked at borders for a while and uh, people would come in on their like lunch breaks from the stop and shop nearby like the teenagers who worked yeah or I don't know I guess they wouldn't even been teenagers but people who worked during the day but they were really young Right. Like, maybe in their early 20s, they... I mean, some of them were probably teenagers at some point. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I'm... Well, everyone was a teenager at some point. Right. But... Or will be a teenager yeah. at some point. But, um... Yeah. But anyway, they, yeah, I remember people coming in and spending lunch breaks just, like, reading anime. And I actually didn't mind shelving the anime section because, unlike the American comic section, which was just always full up and there's you know jam books and crappy can, <laughs> there's always nice wiggly space in the anime section for to fill in some of those... It also was very logical. Like, there's all those. What's the company that has like the red um, bar on it? But everything was in series. Yeah, yeah. The, the, like, the spines all made sense. It yeah. was very easy to shelf. They, as someone who has just reorganized the bookshelf to yeah. be by size and then my publisher, mm-hmm. there's a clear aesthetic through line. Like, even like the different um, like imprints within the same company have very similar aesthetics. Mm hmm. So it all looks nice. Yeah. So, but anyway, I again, we're just we're way off topic again. But Do, wait, you know, anime is was a thing. What do you hear? What's that ding bell? Is that is that our everyone's fan favorite segment coming? 
I think it is. I'm always scared when Andrew starts <laughs> making up segments because I don't know what's going to happen. Who's making up segments? <laughs> yeah, no. We do the same segment every week. Uh-huh. Every week. Every week. It's the fan favorite. It's our segment. After school work. So, Matt, mm-hmm. what's your after school work been doing? Which, as we all know, is do you dip into any extracurricular horror? Extracurricular horror? Yeah. No. No? None? None. The thing. Oh, okay. Wow, have you, have you been doing extracurricular horror? I've done plenty of extracurricular horror. I would say the only horror I, I read a book called, uh, a horror book. Oh, okay. Called, uh, but it's sort of, I would, I think it was shelved in the horror section, I should say, but it was really not particularly horrible. Yeah. It was uh, Wintertide, okay. I think it was called, by, uh, I want to say, Ruhana Ebris. Yeah. And it was a, uh, it's sort of, what if... Uh, it's like a pseudo sequel to a shadow over Innsmouth okay. where all the fish people ended up in a concentration camp in with San Francisco all right. and the Japanese people came after sort of a horror story but it was very much like a Lovecraft pastiche yeah. know, Lovecraft is generally considered a horror writer right. I would say the book itself more of a science fiction story Okay, but anyway what was your extracurricular? You know, uh, one piece of extracurricular horror? I've, I've actually watched a lot of horror movies probably since I like... I mean, it's been a little while since we recorded one Yeah, it's been almost two months. So I've watched a lot of them. Can you give us one? Um, can I give you one? Or two? <laughs> Whatever it is. Okay. If I can give... I, I can run through them all, but to give one, if I want to talk about one, I'll probably end with it. So what I've seen fairly recently, while there was like that Criterion Collection of Monsters and... Mm-hmm. Madness, Mad Men. It's got the two. It's got two Boris Karloff. Movies yeah, on so it. it's I got quarters of blood and seen it. The one about where he's uh, a strangler or something. Yes, the Honda strangler. I saw that one. Then I saw First Man in Space. I watched those three. So yeah, those the other three are more science fictiony, right? Yeah. Oh, well, First Man in Space is more science fiction. Yeah, it's about a man who goes to space and he comes back as a mon- as like a space dust monster. Space dust monster. Yeah. But like, you know, it's sympathetic. But then, I, what else did I see? I watched um, The Babadook. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that. I watched, more recently, I watched Hereditary. Oh, is that good? I want to see that. I liked Hereditary. Yeah, okay. Podcast spoilers, it um, it earned its 50% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> okay. What, for whatever that means to you. That means almost nothing to me, yeah. personally, but um, I don't I don't, Actually, I, I don't think I've ever been to that website. I don't know what... I understand that the tomatoes are good. Like you want more tomatoes. You want more tomatoes. But I don't um, know what a fifty percent score on tomatoes connotes. Well, no, it's got like a nine. It's got like an eighty something Rotten Tomato score. So it's that's a critical score, audience score, right? Okay. It's, it's, and those are those are the kind of movies I find inherently fascinating because it's like critics like this movie's good. The audience is like, the fuck are you talking <laughs> about? Or like half of them were like super like turned off by it. So that means it's usually there's usually that something special to them. You know, I actually lied. I, let me interrupt you for one second. Yes. I watched uh, It Follows, yeah. and I watched the movie, the name of which is escaping me, but it's about, it's got Suki Waterhouse in it, and she gets her leg cut off and fed, and someone eats it in front of her. Don't know. In the beginning of the movie, Jason Momoa's in it, too, drawing a blank. It's a post-apocalyptic movie, Jim Carrey's in it. Go ahead. Oh, um, you're thinking of The Mask. Yes, The Mask. Somebody stop me. <laughs> no, wait, wait. You're thinking of Liar Liar. Yeah. He's I'll, like, I'll Google it. He's like, I want to eat this foot. Oh, the number 23. Okay, so what uh, what else was there? There was um, is the Bad Batch. Okay, what's that movie? Valerie and her seven week something like that. What is it? The name, exact title? I don't remember the exact title. I don't know if you call it horror. It's weird. Valerie and or her week of wonders. Her, Valerie and a week of wonders. Yeah, never heard of this. No idea what this is. Okay. What does this say? It's like a... 70s surrealist horror film. Yes. Okay. I I watched it on... Because I think Katie Skelly, the comic artist, drew fan art of it. Mm-hmm. And I tend to... There are some people who tend to like, okay, let's see what they're getting... Let's see what they're into because they have a different aesthetic from most other people that I'm into. Yep. And she's one of them. So I was like, oh, that's on film. So like, let me give that a... I'm, you know, that service that I forgot just bleep that one out um, we're allowed to I mean just because they're not paying us something we can't say it. it's like yeah. I'm sure many people who listen to this podcast about a Filmstruck about a Japanese horror from the 60s would also be like oh Filmstruck yeah right. sure. yeah. so I'm like that's what I'm like I'm like I'll give that a shot and yes it is a surrealist endless 
fairy tale horror movie thing. Is that something you think we might be good for this show, this podcast? Uh, maybe. Okay. I mean, I I was kind of into it, you know. Yeah, you were into it. It would, it had like a vibe. I'm just. I think we're based on this. I'm not going to get too far into it, but I know what I want to do for episode fifty. Yes. What is it? We're not going to have to get into it, but I think we're going to have a one movie gap where we're looking for something to put in for episode 49 because this, yeah. this series is going to end up episode 48. Okay. So maybe that could be a possibility or we could think of some other random thing to do. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any more between the one that I want to talk about the most. I don't think there is. Were there any other recent horror movies that came The out? Quiet Place. I, I thought that was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're not a big fan. I, well, the log line is it was very well executed. It was a very well executed but very shallow film. Very shallow, yeah. But it was very. What it wanted to do was very well executed, but. I also saw the trailer for Mandy. Did you see that? No. You should check that out. I heard it's kind of crazy. It's a good trailer. <laughs> I don't know what the movie's about, but the trailer's freaking awesome. I hear it's. I heard. That's what I heard about. I heard very positive nonsense about it. I mean, it even has the black metal font in the end, so that's pretty much checks all my boxes. Checked them all. Nicholas Cage, check. I mean, Nicholas Cage is one of my boxes. I don't <laughs> lie. I will. I mean, people shit on Nicholas Cage like he's a big joke, and I understand that he's a, he's kind of a joke, but he's also like one of my favorite actors to watch in a movie. So yeah, well, I mean, he's he knows what he wants. He he, you know, say what you want about Nicholas Cage, but he puts two hundred percent into every film he makes. <laughs> no less. No less. There's no two hundred percent minimum. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't think of the other ones but uh, what I wanted to talk about the lore the lure the lore oh I've never seen I do the lore is so that's the mermaids and there's a punk band it is a is a mermaid punk rock musical okay about two mermaids who are found by like these these drunk musicians off the beach and they join them and they join their band and it's just like this wild and when I say musical I don't mean like it's got a heavy musical influence I mean it is literally a musical mm-hmm. there are musical scenes there are musical numbers and it's all I forget what country it's from uh, it's definitely from an Eastern European country because yeah. the guy's name is Polish or something I think I thought it was what's it? it might be Ukrainian that was a lady it, yeah, it could barely. Although a woman directing it, uh, you know, it's one of those names where you, well, you're not from the country, so you don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a not very non-Western name, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. You don't know the you don't know the conventions. Yeah, you don't know the norms. Well, let's see, but that was like the lore is my fan of the paradise. Oh, you're into it. Um, yeah. I looked. I was disappointed because I looked up. I was like, "Oh, let me check out those numbers again." But it's like you know, on YouTube has like the musical numbers cut out of it <laughs> conveniently. Maybe in ten years they'll be like, "Yep, yep." She is known for her question. She is working on a. She is working on Deranged, a science fiction opera with David Bowie's music. Sounds. <laughs> sounds okay. I can, I can see myself watching that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very loose adaptation of. The original Little Mermaid. Oh, okay. You know, losing voice, sea foam, and all that. Yep. But there's two of them, and they're like sisters. And it's yeah, I, I saw the trailer, and I was definitely like a movie. I was like, I should watch that. I loved it. Yeah. Okay, I'll watch. It. Is it on? Um, that which shall not be named. Yes, okay. Filmstock. Yes, <laughs> yes, on Filmstock. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it, though. I think those are all like the horror movies I watch in the interim. Do you have anything this final to say about uh, Onibaba? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, good stuff. Very. It was like. It feels like a very. It's a very slow, very like wandering. Horror movie. Yeah. It was some. Yeah, it was like. If horror sort of like mashed up together that sort of wandering, aimless, style of film. And I think that that really helps pay off the uh, ending. Yeah, because it's like. I mean, it pays off aesthetically the entire time. Because pays off aesthetically, absolutely. Because if the film feels wanting, because everyone, like the whole, the ambiguous size of the field feels wandering a lot of the time. You feel, I mean, the characters are always at home because they know when to jump over the hole and everything. Mm-hmm. But as, as an audience, you sometimes feel lost. 
All right, I'm going to give a, the final spiel. Okay. If you have any web designer development needs, please check out our sponsor, whalingcityweb.com. You have a sponsor? Oh, yeah. Did they give us money? It's me. Oh. I'm the sponsor. Oh, okay. <laughs> I pay for the podcast hosting. Oh, yeah. Buy a website from me. Um, we'd like to start taking listener questions and comments on the show. If you have a message, you can leave a message for us by calling 508-817-3408. This was episode 45. Is there an email? Uh, there probably is. I don't check it. I mean, it seems like a good place. Um, I believe it's Matt at GoldenHorror.com. That seems like a good place because not everyone wants to leave a voicemail. It definitely was Matt at GoldenHorror.com. Not everyone leaves a voice message. A better way to get in touch with me via email because it does it forwards to my regular email address. I haven't tested it in a while to see if it's working. Oh, okay. But it does. It is supposed to be forwarding. Uh, the uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Water Method. Or at Pizza Pranks for Andrew. Pizzapranks.itch.io is Andrew's website. You can buy stuff from him or play his games. It's pay what you want. Pay what you want. I um, got a hit in France again. Occasionally I'll get like one specific one of my games will get like hit in France. Like a bunch of people will buy it? Uh, no, no one will buy it, but like I'll just get like a random. I'll get it. No, I'll get like a random like Twitter mention. From some like one was a blog post. Sometimes just like a French dude just like saying, "Hey, I'm into this game." It only hits in France. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, maybe a very French sensibility. Maybe. Um, we all we also do another podcast, uh, the Actual Play Network podcast. If you are interested in live role playing game type. Oh, actual play. Actual play. Yes. If you're interested in loud boys screaming in a room. Yeah. Um, Andrew is running a game series right now on there um, called. Uh, Home to rest your head, or, or something. The incorrigible assholes, yeah, or the incorrigible generation. Okay. And um, it, I feel like that's really important. It's part of the entire title. It definitely adds a lot of words. Or the modern Prometheus, <laughs> or the, as, as you might say. Yes, the way that that has become inextricable from Frankenstein. Um, I feel like an important part of Frankenstein. It's definitely a part of the original novel's title. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's a great series. I think Andrew does a great job. I well, think everyone you. should listen to it. Yeah. Um, our theme music is the Swan Lake dub by Dubology. Next month, we're going to be watching Hour of the Wolf. Have you seen that? No. Okay, me neither. Um, thanks for listening. Again, that website is www.goldenagehorror.com. What's up?